A few weeks ago, we started our most recent series, and we're talking about this idea of why not you, and, and what it looks like for us to stop talking ourselves out of the dreams, and out of the desires, and out of the calling that God has placed on our life. And, and I don't know if I've asked this up to this point, but do you realize that God has a calling for your life? Is that something that you think about in a personal way, or is that something that we just tend to think about in a generic way, that maybe it applies to people in a general sense, but we don't always think of that as applying to us in a very specific sense? And so we've been looking at a variety of things that give us some illustration related to aspects of the calling that God has placed on our life, and some of the things that maybe get in our our way of actually saying yes to that calling And one of the things that I want to highlight for us today is the fact that differences are illusions. And so what I mean by that is this. The people you admire are just like you. And sometimes our admiration of certain people can actually get in our way of being willing to say yes to what God's calling us to do because we think that people are so different from us. The people that are saying yes to God, we think they're so different from us. And so we find ourselves saying, oh, it, it couldn't be me, but why not you? The people you admire are just like you. And in fact, in James chapter 5, verse 13, down to verse 18, it illustrates that for us in a very powerful way. So if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 5, we're looking at a small section of Scripture today, just a paragraph of Scripture, just a few verses. And uh, in this portion of Scripture, you're going to see that, that the Lord goes to great effort to make sure that we understand that the people that we admire are, in fact, just like us. James chapter 5, starting with verse 13, this is what it says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to start off our week looking at it together as we worship you together today. Lord, we're grateful for your goodness, we're grateful for your love, and we're grateful for the variety of things that you reveal to us in your word. And Lord, we know that the things that you reveal to us are largely things that, that we would not have assumed on our own. We wouldn't have come to the realization of these things without your help and without your revelation. And so, Lord, we're grateful that you've revealed these things to us. We're grateful for the fact that, that you remind us over and over again of the things that you've revealed. And we're grateful that we could spend a moment like this just meditating on the truth of your word and seeking your counsel and your guidance and your power to be able to implement these truths in our day-to-day lives. So we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to look at your word together today, and we commit this time to you now and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So during my college years, and you've probably heard me mention this person's name before because I bring them up probably at least once a year, maybe once every two years. But during my college years, there were few people that I admired like Rich Mullins. Now, I've, I've asked this before, but do you remember who that was, Rich Mullins? All right. So let me bring him up on the screen. That's Rich Mullins there, all right? Um, Rich was my favorite musician, absolute favorite. Nobody else held a candle to Rich in my mind. I admired him for the things that he sang about in his songs. I admired him for the simple way that he lived his life. He was well-known, but he wasn't pretentious. He was a big deal, but everybody seemed to know that except him. Whenever I had the chance to see him in concert, I would take those opportunities, and I had the chance to see him in concert several times. And believe it or not, and can you imagine the nerve of someone doing this? I actually once got shushed by somebody sitting in front of me at a Rich Mullins concert because I was singing along with every word of his songs, and I didn't realize that they could hear me, but they made it very clear that they had paid money to hear Rich sing, not to hear me sing, but I wanted to sing, and I just thought it was cool that I got to sing along with Rich, but I actually got shushed at one particular Rich Mullins concert. But after one concert, a different one than that, I actually decided I was going to hang out for a little while and attempt to meet him. You ever try and do something like that? If you go to a show or go to something like that, uh, where you just think, you know, maybe if I just stick around long enough, I'll actually have the opportunity to meet the guy. And actually what what I did, I thought this was really clever. I jumped in with the crew that was breaking down the stage and the sound equipment and everything. It was up in Bloomsburg. And I, I, I just jumped in with everybody, and I was like, all right, let's start carrying stuff. And I'm carrying stuff out to the truck, and I'm like, this appears to be working. And uh, we're wheeling stuff out there, and none of the crew questioned that because they're like, yeah, he's lifting stuff, and he's bringing stuff out to the truck. You know, more hands, the merrier, right? And, uh, and then as I was doing that, Rich walked by, and I was like, there he is. There's Rich. And I had the chance to talk to him, but I was too nervous to do so. So I kept loading the truck and just trying not to act like his biggest fan. But in my mind, I thought, he's right there. I should just talk to him. I should just talk to him. And I didn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I just, he was like two feet in front of me. He was even just standing there at one point, just, just waiting for, for something that would be his turn to do. But he just, just stood there, and I just stood at a distance lifting speakers. A year later, our college brought him in for a concert, and I, my friends knew what a big Rich Mullins fan I was, and so they actually asked me to be his primary contact the day of the show. They said, all right, we have to select somebody for this task, and they were gracious enough to select me to do that, which meant I was going to be able to hang out with my musical hero for about six hours. Me and him, my task was to, to take him out to eat, My task was to basically help him with any odds and ends that might come up over that six-hour stretch, make sure he had anything he needed. You need bottled water. I'm I'm your guy. I'll get that for you. You need anything. Just let me know. I'm your guy. And to say that I was excited about that would would have been an understatement. It It felt surreal to me. And I was also a little bit nervous at the same time because I actually wondered if maybe I would discover that the image that I had of him wasn't accurate. They always say it's a very dangerous thing to meet your heroes. And uh, I thought, what if, what if this turns out to be one of those things where I've kind of built this up in my mind a particular way, and this guy isn't what I thought he was? What if the image that he conveys on TV and the image that he conveys on stage doesn't actually match reality? I was genuinely concerned about that. Well, I was grateful when it became clear to me that he wasn't being duplicitous. 
I, could, I told him, I said, we could go and eat anywhere. I had a, a, a budget that could, could pay for us all. And we didn't eat at a fancy restaurant. He asked if we could go to Arby's. And I said, why do you want to go to Arby's? And, and he said, I, I really, I'm just going to be honest with you, I really just love their Jamocha shakes. That's what he said. And he said, I know I shouldn't drink a Jamocha shake right before a concert, but I just want one, and so I got to go get one. And I was like, sure thing. The whole time we were there, he kept sharing his fries with me because he didn't feel like I had ordered enough. So he kept sharing his fries with me. And in my mind, I literally had a moment sitting at Arby's next to Rich Mullins, my musical hero. And I thought, all right, don't freak out, but you're at Arby's eating French fries with Rich Mullins. And uh, I thought, act normal, act normal, act normal. And, and I think I pulled it off. Normal for me might not be really normal, but it was normal-ish. And um, as we were leaving, a, a family came up to him because they recognized who he was. And they said, you're, you're Rich Mullins. Like, he didn't know that, right? <laughs> it's like, you're Rich I am, right? And so he was talking to them for a little bit, and he discovered that they want, he asked them, he said, do you want, did, are, are you going to go to the show tonight? Are you coming to the show? And they, they said that they wanted to go, but they couldn't afford tickets. And so he looked at me, and he said, well, maybe John could get you in. And in my mind, I was thinking, you're the one that can, you're the guy, right? If you want them in, they're in. But he said, maybe John could get you in. And, and he looked at me, and he said, John, could you get them in? I was like, pretty sure I could get them in. And he said, all right. He said, just follow us. John will, John will show you how to get in. And so I got them in. But really, I just gave them seats that were Rich's seats. So they got to sit up in the front at this concert for free because they ran into Rich Mullins at Arby's. Here's the other thing. Throughout the night, he walked with a limp. And I was trying to figure out, why is he walking with a limp? And what he had been doing was he, he had stepped on a nail several days earlier because he was volunteering to help with a building project, and he just thought it would be smart for him to not wear shoes while he was doing it, and he had stepped on a nail. And so the whole night, he's walking with a limp. And then at the end of the night, I thought, all right, I've behaved this entire night. Now I can act like a fan for the last five minutes before he goes. And I brought out, and I had it with me the whole time in like a thing I was carrying, I brought out every single one of his albums. I had all of them. And I didn't act like a fan the entire time. And then I brought all of them out. And, I, and he's sitting down and he looks at me. And I said, yeah, could, you, could I just get you to sign these? And he's looking through them all. And he's, he's like, you have all of them? I was like, I have all of them. And then he came across his first two albums. And he looked at those and he cringed. And he said, oh, you have these? <laughs> I said, yeah, they were hard to get. And he's like, good. They're not very good. <laughs> And I, and I was like, what? Those are like the prize of the collection because they were so hard to get. And he's like, yeah, they stink. So I'll sign them, but they stink. And, and I just thought to myself, I, I thought in, in that experience, I learned something. I realized that one of the people that I admired most in this world and really like mega high on the list, not just somebody I looked up to a little bit. There are a lot of things about the person I was trying to become in college that were being directly influenced by things that I was observing in him. And I realized that one of the people I was looking up to most in this world was no different than anybody else. He enjoyed fried foods. He limped. He felt insecure about the art he created. And I, you know, I was thinking about that this week. And, and by the way, I'll probably bring him up in like 37 other sermons before I retire. So I hope that's all right. And it's really just the same story that I keep telling from every possible angle. Um, 
But how often have we talked ourselves out of doing the very things that God has called us to do because we don't think of ourselves as celebrities? You know, how many times have we avoided doing what we're called to do simply because we're convinced that somebody else with more name recognition might be able to do it better? The people we admire are just like us. They eat the same food we eat. Nails pierce their skin when they step on them accidentally. They get insecure about the same things we get insecure about. The only difference between them and maybe some of us is that they have a habit of taking action, and sometimes we have a habit of standing still because of our self-doubt or because of our weak faith or because of our irrational insecurities. Now, the Bible attempts to talk us out of that doubt, and it attempts to talk us out of those insecurities. And one of the portions of Scripture that aims to do that is the portion we just read from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. And I want to point out a few things to us today that I hope will be helpful if this is something that you wrestle with, because I'll confess to you it's something I have wrestled with, and I'm assuming I'm not alone in this. So if this is something that you've wrestled with, I'd love for you to just consider some of the things that are brought out to us in vivid detail in James chapter 5. And one of those things is this, the fact that Christ has given you his power. He's given you his power. So the question is, are you willing to use it? Let me read again verses 13 and 14 of James 5. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So one of the great blessings of being part of the family of God is that he gives us his power so that we can navigate the trials and the tests of this age. And we experience those things from all different kinds of directions. Our lives are filled with all sorts of ups. Our lives are filled with all sorts of downs. Some seasons are actually marked by pronounced suffering, where you look at a particular season of your life and you think, yeah, if I could think of one word to describe that season of my life, it's suffering. So we've gone through seasons like that. You've gone through seasons like that. Other seasons are very light and very cheerful. And it seems like everything is clicking all at the same time. Sometimes we endure illnesses. Sometimes we deal with infirmities. Sometimes we feel healthier than ever. And it's a mix. We kind of go back and forth during the course of our earthly life. But regardless of whatever season we might be at at present, we need the power of God. You and I need the power of God in every context that we're in, in every situation that we're in. James is trying to illustrate that to us when you look at the words that he's stating here in this portion of Scripture. And through Jesus, we have been granted that power. But many believers spend the bulk of their days either forgetting to access it or just failing to use it for whatever reason. Now, when James is talking about suffering in this portion of Scripture, He instructs us to do something. So just think for a second. What is James instructing us to do when we're suffering? Well, in this portion of Scripture, one of the things he challenges us to do is to access the power of God through prayer. That's his advice to you and to me, to access the power of God through prayer. And when we're cheerful and everything seems to be moving along smoothly, he encourages us to use the power of God to express our thankfulness. And if we're sick, he instructs us to gather our spiritual leaders together to collectively access the power of God on our behalf as they lift up their voices together to pray for us in the midst of our infirmities. 
And the point that James, I think, is trying to make here in the midst of a variety of things that he's illustrating is the fact that we have not been left powerless in this world. So we go through all sorts of things, but we have not been left without the power of God in this world. We have not been left powerless. Through Christ, we have been given great power. But are we willing to use it, or would we prefer to stumble through life like people who are completely unaware of the power of God and completely unaware of the gift that we hold right in our hands right now? And I think many people go through the course of their life maybe theologically acknowledging that Christ has given them His power, but never coming around to the spot where they apply the fact that Christ actually wants us to make use of the power that He's given to us. And here, James is encouraging us to to be people who make great use of the power of Christ that has been given to us as a gift. It's been given to us as a blessing. We're invited to make use of it. Well, James goes on a little bit further, and he challenges us from a different angle here, but it's a related angle. And and I'll just kind of say this. I'll, I'll just ask this as a question. What might you see if you just took the time to ask? Now, why am I saying it that way? What, what might you see if you just took the time to ask? Well, look at what he says in verse 15 of James 5. He says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Some of you are familiar with this already, but I'll make mention of this in, in case some of you aren't. But a few days ago, I received a phone call. And um, it was Tuesday morning. It was from one of my college roommates. And he was informing me that one of our other roommates, a guy who is a great friend, one of our best friends, um, that he was actually just flown to the hospital via helicopter for emergency surgery on his heart. He's in his mid-40s. It's not a season of life where you expect to have emergency surgery on your heart. The situation was very serious. The situation was the type of thing where his family was basically told to prepare for the worst because the situation was that bad. It was one of those moments where, as a friend, you feel compelled to do something. You want to do something for your friend, but you also know that in the physical sense, there's not really anything you can do. And all throughout the course of the day, I thought to myself, I wish there was something I could do, but there isn't something in the physical sense that I could actually do. But the only thing that I could do was, in that moment, I could pray. And so I started praying for him. That's what I did. That's what many of our other friends did all throughout the course of the day as well. That's what our church prayer team did throughout the course of the day. I found, him, I found myself praying for him basically every spare moment where my thoughts weren't occupied with something else. I came right back to the fact, thinking, here I am going through the course of an average day, and yet one of my best friends is having potentially the worst day of his life. And the way that they were talking about it, they, almost, they were making it sound like it very well could be the last day of his earthly life. And so that certainly colors your thinking. It colors your day. And so I was praying for him all throughout the course of the day. Later that day, when I saw my wife, we just sat down together, held hands, and we lifted him up in prayer. And I said to her, I'm praying in faith that the Lord will spare his life because I truly believe in my heart that the Lord will. I really do believe the Lord's going to spare his life. And the words James, from James chapter 5, verse 15 were on my mind. And I thought to myself, all right, if I'm going to bother to lift something up before the Lord, I need to pray in faith, not in doubt. If I'm going to lift this up before the Lord, I need to pray believing that the Lord can do something about this, not doubting that He would. And so I was ready to accept whatever the Lord decided, specifically regarding my friend's condition, whether or not his life was spared, I was willing to accept whatever God said, but I prayed in faith knowing that the Lord had the power to miraculously 
heal him. And this was the type of situation that would need miraculous intervention. And we didn't find out an answer of how things went for the rest of the day. He was in surgery for the rest of the day and was on machines and all sorts of things. And it wasn't until the next morning that we learned that he lived through the surgery and then began the gradual process of recovery. And just yesterday was, so this happened on Tuesday. Just yesterday was the first day that he was conscious. I I texted him and I said, hey, you don't need to reply to this, but I just want to let you know that we're praying fervently for you. And I didn't know if he'd see it. And he said, and, but he saw it and he replied a little bit later and he said, hey, this is surreal. He said, this is the first day I've been alert since Tuesday. I I can't even believe what's, what's going on. But I'm grateful that the Lord answered our prayer. And I was grateful that the Lord allowed us to see that outcome. It, was, it struck me last night as I was texting with him. I, I thought, I'm texting with him right now, and I'm getting a reply. And that made me feel really good. And it makes me wonder what we might also see the hand of God accomplish if we just took the time to ask him for his intervention. What might we see the hand of God do if we just took the time to ask him to intervene? Here, James teaches us that the Lord heals and raises up the sick. James also tells us that the Lord forgives the deepest offenses. The Lord forgives the deepest of sins. So what else do you suppose he's waiting for us to approach him about? Because those tend to be some of the big categories of issues that we wrestle with this side of heaven. So I didn't realize what our worship team, what their set included today when, when I was preparing to speak for today, but I thought it was interesting. And this happens more often than you would realize. But the very first song that our worship team did today is a song that we sang frequently when I was a child. What a friend we have in Jesus. I don't know if you know the background of that song. I don't know if you know the history of that song. Um, it's something I was planning to share just briefly about today, and it cracked me up when I heard that they opened their set today with, what a friend we have in Jesus. It's like, uh, you, I did not tell them I was about to reference this, so that's pretty cool. It's a song that was written many, many years ago. It was actually written in 1855 by a man named Joseph Scriven. He was a pastor. He lived in Canada, and he wrote it out as something that he sent to his mother, who lived in Ireland. And she was dealing with a lot of worry. She was dealing with a lot of concern. Obviously, in the mid-1850s, it's not very easy to travel from Canada to Ireland. And so pretty much, if if your baby boy is serving in ministry across the ocean, the odds of you getting to interact with and see your child are are very limited. And uh, other than, you know, correspondence that would take a long time to go from one side of the Atlantic to the other... There was no other way that you could hear from each other. And so he decided to write down the words to that song, and he wrote it and he sent it to his mother in the mid-1850s, hoping to give her some comfort through reminding her of the relationship that we as believers have with Jesus Christ. And I want to read just a few lines from that song. We sang it just a little bit ago, but I want to reread a portion of it. In that song, it says this, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs, to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. So that's how it starts off, right? It's a privilege. We get to carry everything to God in prayer. That's a privilege. And then this next stanza here is the stanza that always sticks out to me every time we sing that song. Growing up, it used to stand out to me, and even today it stood out to me as our worship team led us in singing it. But it says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. 
Isn't that an interesting piece of commentary there? The peace we forfeit, the needless pain we bear because we're not bringing things that we should be bringing to the Lord in prayer. And it makes me wonder every time I look at that or every time I sing that song, makes me wonder what kind of peace I'm forfeiting or what kind of needless pain I'm bearing simply because I haven't asked Jesus to intervene on my behalf. And when you look at what the Scripture encourages us to understand, I think it's inviting us to wrestle with this thought, what might we see if we just took the time to ask? I think there are things that we would see that we are not seeing because the ordained means that the Lord has given to us in order for some of those things to be accomplished is prayer. The Lord has invited us to pray. He's told us to pray. He's illustrated that we should pray and that we could come before Him and make these requests. And there are things that we will only see in conjunction with prayer. Well, James goes on to show us something else that I think is worth noting, and that's this. He challenges us in a very personal way. Don't let worldly desires rob you of your confident access to the throne of God. Don't let worldly desires rob you of your confident access to the throne of God. Look at what it says in James 5, 16. He says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Many people are fearful of meeting God someday. I don't know what you think about that, the fact that Scripture tells us that we're going to stand before Him, if that's something that you're looking forward to, or if the idea of meeting God someday is something that stokes some fear in your heart. What do you think He would do if you walked right up to Him? You just walked right up to God. What do you think He would do? How do you think He would respond? Do you think He would reject you? Do you think He would welcome you into His presence? Do you think He'd be irritated with your boldness? Do you think He'd be glad that you actually came to Him? You know, what kind of images do you have in your mind? Is there something in your life that gets in the way of your willingness to entertain the thought of approaching God directly. You know, what do you think about that? I think our desire for worldly things frequently hinders our relationship with God. And the more we welcome worldly values and the more we welcome the sins that our generation is embracing, and our generation just just hugs the most unhealthy things and welcomes the most unhealthy things into their lives and and celebrates it and rejoices over it and, and embraces things that grieve the heart of God. And the more we adopt those things into our heart and into our thinking and into our lives, the less we're going to feel confident about approaching God. It's very simple. The more we embrace worldliness, the less confidence we will feel in our approach to God. But he offers us the solution to that in James chapter 5, verse 16. And in that passage, we're told here to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another. To confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another. Now, I've been to a lot of prayer meetings, and I'll tell you, there's a lot of things that we pray for, and it's usually related to needs and discomforts and pain and job situations and family situations and things like that, but there's very few confession of sin moments when believers gather together, because I think sometimes we want to show each other our best side. And I know that that can be challenging because you also wonder if you confess your sin to somebody, what are they going to do with that information? And I have met people in my life that I know that if I confess certain things to them, they would salivate over the thought to hold that against me. And so you think, do I really want to confess that? Or do I want to confess that? We really struggle with that. I have to tell you, and obviously I have to be sensitive with this information, but but somebody uh, the other day sent me a text, and uh, I was curious about what this was. It's not somebody that was in my contact list, but it is somebody that, that I know, outs, uh, you know just in real life. 
And uh, they told me who they were. And, uh, and I said, hey, what's up? And the person said to me, I, I, I just want to confess to you a struggle because I want to call something out into the light. And I said, okay. I said, do it. I said, go for it. And he said, all right, here's the deal. I'm, I'm really struggling with pornography right now. And I want to tell somebody, and I feel like I, I could just tell you. And so I'm just going to tell you. And I said, you know what? Here's the thing. Everybody thinks that they're the only one struggling with that. And, here, and here's what I've discovered, especially in the past 15 years of pastoral counseling. That tends to be one of the major things that people are struggling with in this generation, in this internet age, in this information age. It's one of the major things. And you know what? Everybody thinks they're the only one struggling with it. Everybody thinks that they're the only one wrestling with it. And here's what that gentleman did when he sent that text. He said, I'm tired of giving this power over me. I'm tired of allowing this to be something that infiltrates my life and robs me of the confidence that I can have before the throne of God. And so I'm just going to take the risk and confess it to somebody. I'm just going to confess it. And so I want to use that example as... uh, generically as I can, to just say, there has to be somebody in your life that you would take the risk to confess certain things to. There's got to be somebody. I don't think that you necessarily need to put stuff out there on a billboard, but somewhere along the line, you got to figure out who you can trust and then take the risk. And also, I'll tell you what, um, I think think we have a lot of trust, but I want to challenge you to do something in a don't think that the pastor is the only person that you can send that message to. Find the person in your day-to-day life that could actually spend a lot of time focused just on you and can help with accountability and knows you and has known you for a long period of time. Find people like that in your life and stop giving sin the power over you that it's, that it's enjoyed up to this point. Rob it of the power. And you know what happens? This is what happens. When you bring it out into the light, it loses its power. It doesn't have the same power over you when it can't operate in secret. And so earlier this week, I texted with somebody who wants victory in a particular area of their life that they have felt like they've been lacking that victory. And you know what I think is going to happen? I think they're going to have that victory because they've just taken the biggest risk to say, all right, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm just going to confess something I'm struggling with because I don't want to struggle with this for the rest of my life. And that's the type of person that gets past it. It's, but when we embrace things and bring things into our life and, and fail to, to actually um, acknowledge the damage that it does to us and the damage that it does to our walk with the Lord, when we keep saying yes to sin, what we end up doing is we end up robbing ourselves of the power that the Lord is inviting us to have and to utilize. Because when we're saying yes to sin, we're we're basically saying, yeah, I know I'm free to say yes to Jesus and I'm free to walk in his righteousness, but I'd rather stay chained up. And it's not his desire for you or for me that we remain in the chains of our sin. And when you look at what it tells us in this portion of Scripture... You see this solution here, right? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then the the scripture goes on to say, in conjunction with that, that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So the prayer of a person who has been blessed with the righteousness of Christ in their life is more powerful than many people realize. 
Such prayer affects change. The prayers of the righteous invite the hand of God to intervene in the most impossible situations. And the scripture demonstrates the Lord's, he's delighted to accomplish the miraculous on behalf of those that he has blessed with the gift of his righteousness. And then this portion of, of scripture comes to this crescendo that I hope we notice, and I hope it stands out in our mind because it's key, especially in light of what we're talking about today, the fact that the people we admire are just like us. Well, look at what it tells us in verses 17, verses 17 and 18 of James 5, because here it shows us that we can remember what God has already done through people like us. There it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So it's interesting to look at what Scripture tells us in regard to the people we admire. And again, one of the people that we admire most typically in Scripture is Elijah. He's one of the most admired men in the entire Bible. He was a prophet in Israel during the reign of King Ahab. And he prayed that the Lord would withhold rain for three and a half years during a season of time when Israel was consumed with idol worship. They worshiped Baal. They were consumed with idol worship. And Elijah felt compelled, as the Lord compelled him to pray in such a way, that they would see a demonstration of the power of God through the lack of rain. And so that's exactly what happened. Elijah prayed, the rain stopped, and then he prayed again three and a half years later, and the Lord brought rain upon the land. So when you think about that story, and maybe you're already familiar with it, maybe you aren't, but here's, the, here's my question for you. Was Elijah special as he did this? Was he, was he magic? Was Elijah magic? Was he special? God's Word makes it abundantly clear that he wasn't. He was a man with a nature just like ours. That's what the Scripture says of him. He was a man with a nature just like ours. He was just like you, and he was just like me. He was a man with a nature just like ours. So when we, when we read about his life in the Bible, and the Bible even lists for us things that he struggled with as well, and when we read these things, God is not trying to impress us with Elijah. God's not trying to impress you and me with Elijah. The Lord's actually trying to show us what he's willing to do in a life that's submitted over to him. Elijah's life was submitted over to God, and so Elijah had the opportunity to see a demonstration many times of the power of God at work in his life and through his life. And if God was willing to do what he did through Elijah, Elijah who had a nature just like us, what might he be willing to do through you and me? Do you ever ask yourself questions like that when you look at a portion of Scripture like that? What, what might God do through you and me? If he's willing to do some of those things through Elijah, a man that Scripture tells us was just like you and me, if the Lord was willing to do some amazing things through him, what might he be willing to do and desire to do through you and through me? The people we admire are just like us. And in fact, I think it's wise for us to stop treating the people we admire like they are heroes or like they are exceptional. I don't think that that's really a practical thing. In fact, at this point, the only one I, I really want to call a, a hero, the only one I really want my heart to latch onto is Jesus himself. That's my hero, Jesus. And from what I see in Scripture, everyone else is just like me and you. And I think we all know ourselves well enough to know the limits of our strengths and our weaknesses. And so if everyone else is just like us, I think that we could all basically look at each other and say, all right, we're all in the same boat. So if we're going to admire someone, ultimately, if we're going to treat somebody like a hero, it should be Christ. 
And I'll say this, if your admiration for other people is getting in your way of obedience to to God's calling, then your admiration has become an idol. Think about that. If your admiration for other people is getting in the way of you being obedient to God's calling, then your admiration has become an idol. Respect the people that inspire you. Respect the people who set a good example for you. But don't take their success and then turn it into your excuse for inaction. Differences are illusions. The people we admire are just like us. And the Lord was willing to demonstrate his power through people that he made notable in the sense that they just said yes to him and then he did things through them and now we remember them because they seem so exceptional to us because most people go through life not saying yes to God. But the very things that he did through people like Elijah and others in Scripture, he, he offers to do through you and me. And the same power that was in Elijah's prayer is the same power that's in your prayer should you choose to access it. And Elijah demonstrated what it looked like to actually trust the Lord to do things that seemed impossible. And I think the Lord's inviting us to trust him to do the same as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at some of these things and to really think about some of the things that you're revealing in your word. Because, Lord, it's so easy for us at times to be very dismissive to the thought that you might use us or the dismissive to the thought that, that our life could be useful in your overall plan or that there's a specific calling on our life. And sometimes, Lord, we look at other people and we think, oh, they're so credentialed or they're so notable or their faces are on the covers of magazines or they're the people on TV or whatever excuse we may have. And we look at others and we think that somehow... It it becomes obvious why you could use them, because they have notoriety. And we realize that the only reason in many respects that they're, they're noted or that they have this notoriety is because they've just made a pattern throughout their life of just saying yes to you over and over again, and they stopped worrying about what others might think when they said yes. So Lord, if we're a little bit stuck right now because we've turned our admiration into idolatry, We pray that we would remember what you've revealed to us in this portion of the book of James, that somebody like Elijah is just like us. He was no different from us. He was just like us. He had a nature just like us, but he also had a habit of saying yes to you. He had a habit of being obedient to your leading as he walked by faith, and so, Lord, we pray that that would be something that that you would draw out of our lives as well, that that's what we would be known for. Lord, all of us are known for something. All of us are known for for a variety of things over the course of our lives. There are things that people say of us when they think of us or when they reference us. And Lord, we pray that that narrative would eventually become the fact that people would say that, that, that he or she had a propensity for being obedient to God. So, Lord, we pray that that would be the type of thing that that we would wrestle with, that we would understand, and that we would embrace, that we would be obedient to you, that we would listen to your leading, and that we wouldn't keep thinking to ourselves that, that it's only the people we admire that can do the things that you've called them to do. Lord, we pray that we would be obedient in the areas that you've called us to be obedient, and that we would pray in faith, knowing that you can accomplish great and mighty things in your power. 
And we thank you, Lord, for the freedom that you've given to us, a a freedom not to go back to the life that you've rescued us from. We thank you for that freedom that you offer us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who took our sin upon himself and offers us true freedom in him. So, Lord, we're free not to go back to the things that are worldly desires, the things that used to trip us up, the things that, that kept us in chains. We don't have to go back to that stuff. So, Lord, we pray that we would rely on your power in the midst of all things, and that as we make a habit of saying yes to you, that that would also do something related to the nature of our confidence to come before you boldly, that we would approach your throne with confidence, certain that you hear us and certain that you accomplish great and mighty things in the lives of those who trust you and know you. So thank you, Lord, for these reminders from your word. Thank you for your presence with us today. Thank you for your goodness and your grace and your love. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.